This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the One Year Daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Welcome. This is the One Year Bible Reading for October 22nd. We're in the book of Jeremiah this morning, starting at the top of chapter 39. It was January, during the ninth year of King Zedekiah's reign, that King Nebuchadnezzar and his army returned to besiege Jerusalem. Two and a half years later, on July 18th, the Babylonians broke through the wall and the city fell. All the officers of the Babylonian army came in and sat in triumph at the middle gate. Nergal Sherazar of Samgar, and Nebo Sarsakim, a chief officer, and Nergal Sharizar, the king's advisor, and many others. King Zedekiah and his royal guard saw the Babylonians at the city gate, so they fled when the darkness of night had arrived. They went out through a gate between the two walls behind the king's garden and headed toward the Jordan Valley. But the Babylonians chased the king and caught him on the plains of Jericho. They took him to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who was at Riblah in the land of Hamath. There the king of Babylon pronounced judgment upon Zedekiah. He made Zedekiah watch as they killed his sons and all the nobles of Judah. Then he gouged out Zedekiah's eyes, bound him in chains, and sent him away to exile in Babylon. Meanwhile, the Babylonians burned Jerusalem, including the palace, and tore down the walls of the city. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, sent to Babylon the remnant of the population, as well as those who had defected to him. But Nebuzaradan left a few of the poorest people in Judah, and he assigned them fields and vineyards. King Nebuchadnezzar had told Nebuzaradan to find Jeremiah. See that he isn't hurt, he had said. Look after him well and give him anything he wants. So this is an interesting question. Why did Nebuchadnezzar seek out uh, Jeremiah? Well, first of all, God had promised Jeremiah that he would protect him. Way back at the start of Jeremiah, um, chapter 1, verse 8, it says, And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken. So this is prophecy fulfilled in Jeremiah's life. Um, this, this also is interesting. It says the superstitious Babylonians who highly regarded magicians and fortune tellers treated Jeremiah as a seer. Because he had been imprisoned by his own people, they assumed that he was a traitor and on their side. He undoubtedly knew, they undoubtedly knew that he had counseled cooperation with Babylon and predicted a Babylonian victory. So the Babylonians freed Jeremiah and protected him. So what he had endured being in chains over his prophecy ultimately led to his freedom. Interesting, isn't it? I just think that's fascinating. All right, so Nebuchadnezzar, captain of the guard, and Nebuchadnezzar, chief officer, and Sherazar, the king's advisor, and the other officers, king, Babylon's king, sent messengers to bring Jeremiah out of the prison. They put him under the care of Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, and grandson of Shaphan, who was to take him back to So Jeremiah stayed in Judah among his own people. 
The Lord had given the following message to Jeremiah while he was still in prison. Say to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, I will do to this city everything I have threatened. I will send disaster, not prosperity. You will see its destruction. But I will rescue you from those you fear so much. Because you trusted me, I will preserve your life and keep you safe. I, the Lord, have spoken. And if you remember, it's this Ethiopian that um, that went to Jeremiah's defense and had him pulled out of that cistern in the mud. Chapter 40, verse 1. The Lord gave a message to Jeremiah after uh, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had him released at Ramah. He had found Jeremiah bound in chains among the captives of Jerusalem and Judah who were being sent into exile in Babylon. The captain of the guard called for Jeremiah and said, The Lord your God has brought this disaster on this land, just as he said he would. For these people have sinned against the Lord and disobeyed him. That is why it, it happened. Now I'll take off your chains and let you go. If you want to come with me to Babylon, you are welcome. I will see that you are well cared for. But if you don't want to come, you may stay here. The whole land is before you. Go wherever you like. If you decide to stay, then return to Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, and grandson of Shaphan. He has been appointed governor of Judah by the king of Babylon. Stay there with the people he rules. But it's up to you. Go wherever you like. Such a change. Um, then Nebuzaradan gave Jeremiah some food and money and let him go. So Jeremiah returned to Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, at Mitzpah, and lived in Judah with the few who were still left in the land. The leaders of the Judean guerrilla bands in the countryside heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, as governor over the poor people who were left behind in Judah, and that he hadn't exiled everyone to Babylon. So they came to see Gedaliah at Mitzpah. These are the names of the leaders who came. Ishmael, son of Nathaniah, Jonan, son, and Jonathan, sons of Kariah, Sariah, son of Tanhumeth, and son, the sons of Ephi, and the Netophanite, Nazaniah, son of the Mekanite, and all their men. Gedaliah assured them that it would be safe for them to surrender to the Babylonians. Stay here and serve the King of Babylon, he said, and all will go well for you. As for me, I will stay at Mitzpah to represent you before the Babylonians who come to meet with us. Settle in any town you wish and live off the land. Harvest the grapes and summer fruits and olives and store them away. When the Judeans in Moab, Ammon, Edom, and the other nearby countries heard that the king of Babylon had left a few people in Judah and that Gedaliah was the governor, they began to return to Judah from the places which they had fled. They stopped at Mitzvah to discuss their plans with Gedaliah and then went out into the Judean countryside to gather a harvest of grapes and other crops. Soon after this, Jonathan, Jonath, Jonanan, son of Kariah, and the other guerrilla leaders came to Gedaliah at Mitzvah. They said to him, Did you know that Baalus, king of Ammon, has sent Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, to assassinate you? But Gedaliah refused to believe them. Later, Jonan had a private conference with Gedaliah and volunteered to kill Ishmael secretly. Why should you let him come and murder you? Jonan asked. 
What will happen then to the Judeans who have returned? Why should the few of us who are still scattered, still still left, be scattered and lost? But Gedaliah said to Jonan, I forbid you to do any such thing, for you are lying about Ishmael. But in mid-autumn, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah and grandson of Elishama, who was a member of the royal family, arrived in Mitzpah, accompanied by ten men. Gedaliah invited them to dinner. While they were eating, Ishmael and his ten men suddenly drew their swords and killed Gedaliah, whom the king of Babylon had appointed as governor. Then they went out and slaughtered all the Judean officials and Babylonian soldiers who were with Gedaliah at Mitzpah. The next day, before anyone had heard about Gedaliah's murder, eighty men arrived from Shechem, Shiloh, and Samaria. They had come to worship at the temple of the Lord. They had shaved off their beards, torn their clothes, and cut themselves, and had brought along grain offerings and incense. Ishmael left Mitzpah to meet them, weeping as he went. Oh, come and see what has happened to Gedaliah. But as soon as they were all inside the town, Ishmael and his men killed all but ten of them and threw their bodies into a cistern. The other ten had talked Ishmael into letting them go by promising to bring them their stores of wheat, barley, oil, and honey that they had hidden away. The cistern where Ishmael dumped the bodies of the men he murdered was the large one made by King Asa when he fortified Mitzpah to protect himself against King Baasha of Israel. Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, filled it with corpses. Ishmael made captives of the king's daughters and the other people who had been left under Gedaliah's care in Mitzpah by Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard. Taking them with him, he started back toward the land of Ammon. But when Jonan, son of Kareah, and the rest of the guerrilla leaders heard what Ishmael had done, they took all their men and set out to stop him. They caught up with him at the pool near Gibeon. The people Ishmael had captured shouted for joy when they saw Jonan and his men, and all the captives from Mitzvah escaped and began to help Jonan. Meanwhile, Ishmael and eight of his men escaped from, escaped from Jonan into the land of Ammon. Then Jonan, son of Korea, and his officers led away all the people they had rescued, war children and palace officials. They took them all to the village of Geruth Kimham near Bethlehem, where they prepared to leave for Egypt. They were afraid of what the Babylonians would do when they heard that Ishmael had killed Gedaliah, the governor appointed by the Babylonian king. In the New Testament today, we're starting the book of 2 Timothy. So I want to give you just a, a little bit of background about 2 Timothy. This is a somber letter. Paul was imprisoned for the last time, and he knew he would soon die. Unlike Paul's first imprisonment in Rome when he was in a house where he continued to teach, this time he was probably confined to a cold dungeon awaiting his death. Emperor Nero had begun a major persecution in AD 64 as part of his plan to pass blame for the great fire of Rome from himself to the Christians. This persecution spread across the empire and included social ostracism, public torture, and murder. As Paul was waiting to die, he wrote a letter to his dear friend, Timothy, a younger man who was like a son to him. Written in approximately A.D. 66 or 67, these are the last words we have from Paul. 
This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. It is written to Timothy, my dear son. May God, our Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord give grace and mercy and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you. He is the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I know you sincerely trust the Lord, for you have the faith of your mother, Eunice, and your grandmother, Lois. That is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So you must never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I am in prison for Christ. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the proclamation of the good news. It is God who saved us and chose us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan long before the world began, to show his love and kindness to us through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the coming of Christ Jesus our Savior, who broke the power of death and showed us the way to everlasting life through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. And that is why I am suffering here in prison. But I am not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Hold on to the pattern of right teaching you learn from me, and remember to live in the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. With the help of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard what has been entrusted to you. As you know, all the Christians who came here from the province of Asia have deserted me. Even Phygelus uh, and Hermogenes are gone. May the Lord show special kindness to On Onesiphorus and all his family because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in prison. When he came to Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. May the Lord show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return. And you know how much he helped me at Ephesus. Psalm 90 and 91 a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were created, before you made the earth and the world, you are God without beginning or end. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust. For you, a thousand hours are as yesterday. They were like a few hours. You sweep away people like dreams that disappear or like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath. We end our lives with a groan. Seventy years are given to us. Some may even reach eighty. But even the best of these years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we are gone. Who can comprehend your power, the power of your anger? 
Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Teach us to make the most of our time so that we may grow in wisdom. O Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let us see your miracles again. Let our children see your glory at work. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. Psalm 91. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare of the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I am trusting him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from the fatal plague. He will shelter you with his wings. He will shelter you with his feathers. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor fear the dangers of the day, nor dread the plague that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you, but you will see it with your own eyes. You will see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your dwelling. For he orders his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. You will trample down lions and poisonous snakes. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. I will satisfy them with a long life and give them my salvation. Proverbs 26, 1 and 2. Honor doesn't go with fools any more than snow with summer or rain with harvest. Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an unfair curse will not land on its intended victim. And to end today, I have um, something from the one year praying through the Bible. It is based on what we just read, Psalm 90, 14, which said, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, so that we may sing for joy to the ends of our lives. What morning routine do you most depend on to get your day off to a good start? A warm shower, your first cup of coffee, revising your to-do list? Moses, the author of Psalm 90, wasn't anticipating a refreshing shower when he pulled back his tent flap to face another day in the hot, barren wilderness. His to-do list usually had one thing on it, walk until God says stop. Moses began each day with something many of us are missing, an unwavering assurance of God's unfailing love. His confidence in God's love and care was all he needed to face the day, each day in the wilderness. We have the same promise that Moses had. Nothing we do or say will alter the passionate love God pours out on us. In our waking moments before our minds become cluttered with concerns, before our feet hit the floor, we can pray, Lord, satisfy me today with your unfailing love. When God's love becomes our greatest source of satisfaction, 
Joy will carry us through our daily stresses, and God will put a song in our hearts to the end of our lives. Loving Father, thank you for your promise of unfailing love. Impress upon our hearts a deeper awareness of your love and care for us. Give us eyes to see all the way you express that to us throughout this day. Forgive us for seeking satisfaction in material possessions, family, friends, and work. We pray that you will become our greatest source of satisfaction and joy. Henry Blackby's quote, Blackaby, um, your relationship with God ought to bring you more joy, satisfaction, and pleasure than any other relationship, activity, or material possession you have. I pray we would go and seek that relationship today. Love you all. Have a beautiful day.